Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, and we are excited to share our our mission statement here is to uh, make authentic fruit-bearing disciples of all peoples, and we want to equip you to make disciples. We want to be a church that is a multiplying church. And we want to equip you to do that. So we believe that right now media is a great resource, and, and I know that it's all a digital platform, and some of you are like, well, Pastor, I don't really know how to do that. Well, if you have a smartphone, uh, you should be able to do it. If not, find a smart kid, and uh, maybe they will be able to help you as well. But we believe that it's very user-friendly. But if you do have issues, uh, we will definitely come alongside of you and help you with those things. So we want to do that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Isaiah 9. Verse 6, what a wonderful morning we've had. The Bible says, for to us, let's say this together, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. We are in a mental health crisis in America, especially in the state of Florida after LSU uh, won by a shoe. Um, The kids say that they yeeted the cleat. And it led to defeat. Um, But we are in a day of great mental health crisis. There is a spike not only of coronavirus in some parts of the the nation and the world, but also there is a spike in mental health problems. Uh, Depression, anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, addictions, suicide, fears, exhaustion, sadness, isolation, relationship conflicts, we can continue going on and on. Even pre-COVID, pre-COVID, one out of five Americans over the age of 18 um, experience a diagnosable mental health disorder within a year. That's 20% of Americans. It's said that 46% of all Americans will experience in some, li- in some time in their life a diagnosable mental health disorder. of Americans experience physical, this is pre-COVID, experience physical and non-physical symptoms of stress, and only 37% of them believe that they are doing well in managing them. PTSD, OCD, anxiety disorders are on the rise. The average age of onset anxiety disorders is 11 years old. Every year, more than 800,000 people die by suicide in the world. That's one every 40 seconds. In America, 13.2% of adults are using antidepressants. Now, since COVID-19, those statistics have risen dramatically. Just think of, of just this one statistic I heard recently that in November, more people in the nation of Japan died from suicide than from COVID-19 in the country of Japan in all of 2020. 
If you just add to the corona apocalypse, a presidential election, financial stress, people fearful of losing their job, and parents who never dreamt that they would be homeschool parents are now homeschool parents, and therefore people are stressed out and they are lonely. Yesterday, I was at a funeral with a lady who hasn't been able to get out, but because of this funeral was such a dear loved one, she, she came and I saw her and, and she says, Pastor, she says, if the virus doesn't kill me, the loneliness will. 60% of kids since COVID-19 from ages 12 to 17 have suffered from some form of depression based on COVID-19 disruptions. Now, here's a statistic that should make us all fearful and prayerful. One out of every 13 high school students in America has attempted suicide. We need help. The question is, is there help? A recent Harvard study found that those who frequently attend church are more optimistic and have lower rates of depression. A recent Gallup poll, which got a lot of traction on the Twitterverse, found that those who attend church weekly are the only group in 2020 who are doing better in mental health than in 2019. But listen, the answer is not just in going to church. The answer is in who we worship when we gather as a church. His name is Jesus, and he is our wonderful counselor. 700 years before Jesus came to this world on Christmas Day, God gave a word to the prophet Isaiah. That word was a word of hope. Uh, Isaiah was writing to and speaking to a people who were in darkness. They were living under the shadow of death, deception, and despair. They were weary, anxious, brokenhearted, and traumatized by the sin that they committed and the evil of their day. And yet God gave a word of hope, and that word of hope was found in a birth announcement of a child that would be born and a son that would be given. The child that would be born and the son that would be given would have four names, four titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Each name points us to the person and power of that baby born on Christmas who would be crucified on Good Friday and raised to life on Resurrection Sunday. His name is Jesus, and so this morning we will see that Jesus is our wonderful counselor who gives us hope that we can hold on to when we feel helpless and when we feel hopeless. Two things we'll see. Number one, the qualification of Jesus' counsel. How can Jesus be the wonderful counselor? Well, the word here, wonderful counselor, can also be translated a wonder of a counselor. It's two Hebrew words, Pele Yovetz. Pele can mean beyond understanding, wonderful. It is a word that was used to describe something that was almost indescribable, something that was too wonderful for words. So when the prophet Isaiah is trying to describe the Messiah King, it was too wonderful. He is too wonderful, too glorious, too awesome for words. He is the awesomest. But y'all, but also not only does he use Pele, which is a word distinctly used to describe who God is, but Yavetz, which is a word that is used to describe one who advises, instructs, and guides. But the difference is this person advises, instructs, and guides from a position of authority and from a position of power. All of us give advice. Everybody has an opinion. But yet this one is one from a person of authority and has the power to do it. See, the Messiah King that Isaiah is talking about has a perspective that is infinite, has resources that are unlimited, and a wisdom that is perfect. Notice here, he doesn't call him the wonderful therapist. He doesn't say that he is one that you pay your money to tell all your problems to and they have no solutions. 
He is not the wonderful listener, a friend who listens and agrees that it hurts and it stinks and they don't like her either. He is not the wonderful invisible friend who doesn't exist but you just talk to because you have nobody else. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who you can share your biggest issues with and he will show up and show you a way to deal with them. See, when people come to me for counseling, the quality of my advice is dependent upon the day that I've had. My personal resources and my experiences are limited. That's why I tell people frequently, you get what you pay for when you come see me. I am not a wonderful counselor, but Jesus is. Because he can not only tell you what you need to do, but he has the ability and the power to help you get through it. So the child that is born and the son that is given is a wonderful counselor. But yet the question is, how? How can God, how can Jesus give counsel to humans who are living in a broken world? How can he understand what we are going through? How can we know what we are feeling? How can a holy God relate to my life? Well, the writer of Hebrews kind of shares with us something in Hebrews chapter 4. Notice what the writer says. He says here that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace and help in time of need. Listen, we have a wonderful counselor who is not some distant God sitting upon his throne in heaven, looking down at the mess of this world and pointing fingers. See, the story of Christmas is that Jesus is God in the flesh who came low and who came near. The high and holy one came to live and dwell with the broken and the contrite. See, it's hard to counsel somebody that you struggle to understand. So Jesus, because of that, was born in a livestock cave His first crib was a feeding trough. His mother was some poor teenage girl from the backside of nowhere. Regardless of how much we have hallmarkized the Christmas story, there was no glitter. There were no smells of cinnamon and nutmeg in the nativity. Jesus grew up in abject poverty. He did not grow up on an episode of The Crown of the Kardashians. As an adult, he was homeless. He lived literally hand-to-mouth, rejected by the educated and the wealthy and followed by the lowliest of the socioeconomic strata. When Jesus died at the ripe old age of 33, he experienced in that death the most excruciating pain ever imagined. And in that moment of death, between two criminals, all of his friends abandoned him. He had no possessions and in the world had no reputation. See, Jesus walked through the kind of things that we walk through. He he faced the most impossible and unimaginable, but yet here's the kicker. He did it without sinning. See, he lived the perfect life in a broken world, and therefore he is a reliable guide to any of us who are going through times of pain and tough situations. Now, the one thing about Jesus that's different is he cannot empathize with our sinfulness. He's never sinned but he can sympathize with our temptations. See, Christmas, the incarnation tells us that God 
literally took upon himself humanity. Dorothy Sayers, in, a, in an article written in the opinion piece in the New York Times a few years ago, she said this. She said, for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He has gone, he himself has gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. You poor? You say, Pastor, I'm broker than Job's turkey. Pastor, I'm so broke, I can't even pay attention to you this morning. You broke? You poor? Jesus was homeless. You despised? Jesus was hated so much they murdered him. You feeling tired? Jesus was exhausted. You feeling under pressure? Jesus sweated blood. You feeling abandoned and betrayed by your friends? Jesus was betrayed by his closest of friends. Here's the word you have to get. Jesus is a wonder of a counselor because he has the experience to understand the situation, the wisdom to work it out, and the power to make it happen. That's what makes him a wonderful counselor. He has the experience. He understands our situation because he's lived it. He has the wisdom, su supreme divine wisdom to work out the solution. And he, because he is God, has the power to make it happen. He is the son uh, who was given and the child that was born. As a child that was born, he lived through veiled humanity, the experience of our condition. And he knows our needs and he knows our weakness. But as the son who is given, he's omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent through his divinity. You know, sometimes people believe that pastors are omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. They believe that pastors should know everything that's going on. Pastors should have the power to do whatever they want, and they should always be there. Well, listen, I am not omniscient, I am not omnipotent, and I'm not omnipresent, but Jesus is. And that's what makes him the wonderful counselor. But secondly, not only the qualifications of Jesus, but let me give you the qualifications for Jesus' counsel. How can Jesus be your wonderful counselor? Two ways. One, he's only your wonderful counselor through honesty. I do quite a bit of marriage counseling and premarital counseling, and I have three rules when I meet with people. The first rule is be kind. It's amazing how husbands and wives speak to each other. Be kind. Number two, be careful. Be careful what you say, because sometimes you can't take those words back. Amen. But third, be honest. Be honest. See, if you're not honest with your counselor, that counselor cannot help you. The same is true with Jesus. If you're not honest with him, he will not help you. It's not that he can't help you. It's that he will not help you because you're not honest with him. You know, over the past 20 years, I feel like that uh, there has been a change with how most people view counseling. Tw 20 years ago, uh, you know, people really didn't want anyone to know that they were in counseling. You know, I was just a teenager 20 years ago, uh, but, but I remember hearing people talk about, you know, what, that, that's kind of a, a private topic. That's not something you talk about uh, going to counseling. But, but I think over the past 20 years, it's changed, and most people... Uh, they they kind of see it as a badge of honor, like, yeah, I'm going to see somebody for, for that issue. But, but the irony is, is that studies have found, and a recent study done by Columbia University found that even though counseling is at an all-time high, 93% of clients revealed in a survey that go regularly to counseling that they lie to their counselors on a regular basis. 
You think about that. People pay good money to lie to somebody to try to get help. Why is it that we do that? I think part of it is, is that we don't want to, we, we can't handle, as, as that famous line, we can't handle the truth. We, we don't want to tell the, the deep, dark, hidden truths of ourselves. We, we want to keep it all kind of concealed with a veneer of spirituality. We don't want to admit that we're messed up. We don't want to admit that we have issues. And why is that? I believe because it's uncomfortable. I mean, to be honest, is is often uncomfortable. But I think that at the very heart of it, the reason why it's uncomfortable is because we believe that if we are truly honest about ourselves to other people or to God, that they will reject us, that God will walk out on us, they'll abandon us, that they, they will forget about us because we feel this burden of shame, because we look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we say, you're messed up. See, it's more than just guilt. Guilt is feeling bad for what you've done. It's shame. It's feeling bad for who you are. And you look in the morning and you say, you're a horrible person. But here's the truth. Do you understand that Jesus knows everything about you better than you do? And yet, he is still willing to help you. There's a story of Jesus in John chapter 4 where he went to Samaria. It was, it was noon. It was the, the heat of the day. And, and, and he, was, he was there really with nobody else. But, but he knew that there was going to be a woman there who we kind of known as the shady lady of Samaria. Uh, but anyway, she was there at the very heat of the day when no one else was there trying to get water from the well. Jesus was sitting there. And Jesus speaks to her. And as Jesus begins to speak to her, she acts like she's got it all together, like she kind of did this intentionally. But as they begin to talk, Jesus and this woman begin to talk, Jesus begins to tell her about herself. She tries to hide it up in a veneer of spirituality, but, but yet he tells her about herself. She, he, he says, listen, I know about your five ex-husbands, and I know about the guy you're shacking up with. This woman is amazed. Jesus knew all about her, but yet if you read the scripture, it appears that Jesus went out of his way just to be with her and to have a conversation with her that would change her life forever. As a matter of fact, what does this woman say? She goes out into town and she says, hey, come and see a man who knows everything about me. And a lot of the men in the city were scared to death. (laughs) He knows everything about me, but yet he still loves me. One of the favorite verses I have in James is James chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you know who that is? You and me. Let him ask God who gives stingily, who gives grudgingly. What's the word, church? Generously to all without what? Reproach. He doesn't say no soup for you. You know, when I need wisdom, you know, when I need wisdom, it's often because I've gotten myself in a very bad situation. I don't know if you know this, but I can be stupid sometimes. Now, some of your parents say, I can't believe he said stupid from the pulpit. (laughs) Well, stupid is as stupid does, folks. And when I come to Jesus asking him for wisdom for something that I probably created, he doesn't scold me. He doesn't get angry at me. He doesn't point fingers. You know what he does? He gives it to me. Why is he so generous? Why is it that we can come with him without reproach? Because he already paid for our stupidity. 
He's already paid for our sinfulness. And the wisdom that we are asking from Jesus is not the wisdom that we deserve, but the wisdom that he died for us to have. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his womb, say this with me, we are healed. Do you want to be healed this morning? Do do you want to be healed? Then be honest. Because if I'm honest with him, he's not going to judge me. You know what he's going to do? He's going to help me. And the reason he's going to help me is because he's already been judged for me at the cross. And he's saying to you this morning, stop hiding and be honest with him because you will never be healed until you're honest. Listen, there is nothing you can tell Jesus that he doesn't already know about you and that his grace can't cover up for you. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. Honesty. You want him to be your counselor? Be honest. Secondly, humility. It's one thing to tell your counselor something, and it's another thing to actually do what they tell you to do. To do what the counselor says requires that you need to have a desire to change because the change will only happen in your life when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. So for Jesus, for you to experience his counsel in your life, for you to be changed, you have to be willing to be changed and to do whatever he says. You know, I found that there are a lot of people who just want Jesus to fix their mess. They don't want Jesus to change their life. People like the concept of change, but they don't want the process of change, and they don't want the pain of change. They want to feel better. They want to feel better in the moment, but they really don't want to be healed because they want to continue living life as they've always lived it. You know, if one thing that COVID-19 should teach us all is this, number one, life is fragile. Number two, doing things like we've been doing, we've got to change our priorities, There are things that we need to make greater priorities in our life than the things that we've made priorities. And number three, we can't, we we gotta stop playing church. We got to. We gotta be serious. Well, listen, if there's no challenge in your life, there'll be no change. God is not going to change your life without changing you and often challenging and contradicting you. You know what most people want? Most people want an echo chamber. They want people that think like them, talk like them, do like them to give them advice. People are looking for sycophants that will just tell them all the things that they want to hear. A lot of times when we get counsel, we get counsel from people that are just as messed up as we are, and they help us justify our sinful choices. But listen, Jesus is a wonderful counselor, but only if you're coming to him in order to adjust what you think to what he says. Without that adjustment, he will be no benefit to you. You gotta be honest, but you gotta be humble. You gotta be willing to change. And you gotta be willing to do what he says, even if it doesn't make sense. You know, there's a verse that that we kind of looked at last week a little bit, but we're gonna look a little bit more in, in verse number four. Notice what Isaiah says. This is a part of the overall prophecy. He says, speaking of the Messiah who is to come, 
he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have, oppressor, you have broken. Speaking of how God's going to take bondage to breakthrough, how you're going to go from defeat to deliverance. But notice, as on the day of Midian. Now, we read this like, what is he talking about? What is this day of Midian? Well, the prophet Isaiah understood what he was talking about. The people reading it understood what he was talking about. You may not, but, but they did. And what it is, it's echoing back to a story that happens in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7, where God's going to use this little weenie guy named Gideon, an Ephra, a, a, a guy from Ephraim, just, just a nobody, he's a scaredy cat, to defeat the mighty Midianites. And so God says, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to overthrow these people. There's hundreds of thousands of occupiers. I mean, this was a huge army that... The, Sorry, Siri. Um, there was a huge army, thousands of men. And so Gideon gathers up all the men, and he, he gets 32,000 to, to be in his army. And God looked at Gideon and said, well, Gideon, I need you to cut that number. Gideon's like, say, what? Yeah, cut that number. You tell all those 32,000 men, 32,000 men, that if any of them are scared, they can go home. The dust just kept, I mean, these men threw, just ran away. Thousands of men ran away. Got all the way down, I think, to like 10, 12,000 men. And God said, listen, I want you to take them to a stream, and I want you to let them drink water. They're thirsty. But I want you to watch them. And so some of the men were down by this stream, and they would just get down on, the, on their knees, and they would just drink from the water right there. But some would get in there, and they would get the water, and they would drink it like this. And so God said to Gideon, said, Gideon, all those men that drank straight from the stream, you tell them to go home. I only want the men who writ down and, 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 and drank out of their hands. You know how many that ended up being? 300. God says, now you've got enough to go fight them. And, but here's how I want you to fight them. I want you to get a pot, and I want you to get a torch, put it in the pot, and then I want you to go up, and I want you to surround this camp of men. That's hundreds of thousands of men. And I want you to, everybody at one time, break the pot, get the torch, and yell for God and for Gideon. And guess what they did? They broke the pot. They got the torch. God and Gideon. And guess what happened? They all took off. And God gave a complete victory. But it didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> Sometimes... Jesus may ask you to do things that do not make sense to you and that you may not like. He may tell you to end that relationship that is toxic. He may tell you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He may, start, he may tell you to start giving generously to the things of God. He may tell you to forgive someone who has wronged you badly. And he may tell you you need to ask somebody to forgive you that you've offended. He may tell you you need to spend more time in his word and less time on Facebook. Amen. You need to spend more time in prayer than you do anything else. He may say, change your priorities. Change your family's priorities. Stop watching TV and read the Bible with your kids. Amen. Maybe they need to play less sports and get more involved in the things of God. It may be things you don't like. The only way you're ever going to do what he says is you have to trust him. See, in order for Jesus to be my wonderful counselor, I have to be humble 
And I have to admit that my strategy and my plan for doing life, for thinking, for living are not as good as his. And I've got to be willing to listen and trust and do whatever he says to do. Because he will not help you if you are unwilling to do what he says. How do I know what he says? Through the word of God. Through the spirit of God. And even at times through the people of God. So let me end with this. I know all of you are happy. Some of you may be asking this question. Maybe you're skeptical. And you say, well, can Jesus really fix my problems? Can can Jesus really heal my marriage? Can he really help my family? Can he really cure my depression? Can he really heal my heart? Well, I'm just going to give you the simple answer. Yes, he can. Amen? But that's not the question we need to be asking. I mean, asking that question would be like me coming to you and say, you know what, if a nuclear bomb went off, would we get hot? <laughs> the answer is yes, we would get very hot. But that's not the point. If a nuclear bomb goes off near us, our body temperature doesn't matter. The main point of Christmas is not that Jesus came to fix your problems and make you happy. Jesus did come to fix your problems. He can fix your problems, but more than he can fix your problems, he can give you something far greater. You know what he can give you more than fixing your problems? He can give you himself. See, life's greatest discovery is knowing Jesus, knowing that Jesus loves you and promises to always be with you. See, when you know that Jesus loves you, when you know that he does, how do you know Jesus loves me? This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And when you know that he promises to be with you, that's great, amen? But I want to be honest with you, just knowing those things don't necessarily immediately take all your problems away. Just because you know God loves you and just because you know God's with you doesn't mean your problems go away. But what it does mean is that it completely changes how you think about those problems. You know, knowing God loves you is not necessarily going to always cure your depression. Knowing God loves you is not always going to fix your marriage. Knowing God loves you and is going to be with you is not always going to help your kids. But it'll change how you think about it all. I'll give you this story and we're going to end. I love my kids. They're great kids. They're growing up. It's getting sad. I'm getting depressed. I'm losing hair over it, okay? But my kids still can act little. And so they, they are still at times scared of the dark. So the other day I asked one of my kids, whose name will not be mentioned, to take the trash out. It was trash pickup. And, and I, it was late. And he looks at me and he just says, Dad, it's dark. Which in other words means, Daddy, I'm scared. And I looked at him and I said, listen, it's okay. I get it. I mean, I'm still scared of the dark. I mean, when somebody, when there's a noise at my house, April gets up and takes care of it. <laughs> I get it. 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 But I said, son, listen, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to watch you. I'll be right out there. Because it's your job. It's your responsibility. You, you're, this is your job. You know what you're weak. And so I stood out there and I watched him. And he went, and guess what he did? He went and took that trash out and came in. He was fine. Now, what made the difference? Did did, did the darkness go away? No. Did I go and take the trash out for him? No. What made the difference was my presence. Because I was with him, my presence on the outside with him 
changed everything on the inside of him. See, what makes Jesus such a wonderful counselor is not that his counsel is wonderful, but that he is wonderful and that he is with us. See, Christmas is about Jesus. Emmanuel has come. God has come. And he will come. He didn't just come to leave and go away. He came to be with us forever. And because of what Jesus has done for you, you can always be with him. This doesn't mean the removal of your problems. Peace is not the subtraction of the problems of life. It's the addition of the presence and the power of God in your life. And so today you need that. Some of you need that. You need the presence of Jesus. How do you get it? How do you get his counsel? Two ways. You know them. Honesty and humility. Tell it to Jesus and do what he says. This morning that's for you. Tell it to Jesus. Do what he says. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. And Father, I pray right now for anyone here in this room or watching online that's just struggling, that they would see that you, Jesus, are the wonderful counselor. And that God, that maybe they need to trust you as Savior. Maybe, maybe right now that there are those in this room or those watching online, they've never given their life to you. God, would it be today, would be that day that they would be honest and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and be humble and ask you to save them. God, you deal with their hearts. God, do a work only you can do, but God, help us who are in you to not forget that you are with us. That that's what Christmas is all about. We're, the joy of Christmas is because Jesus is here. The peace of Christmas is because Jesus is here. The hope of Christmas is because Jesus is here. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.